So today I wanted to talk, Eric, about something we both do, and that's working on our own and staying sane and how we do that. So for me, it's I'm pretty much at my six year mark being on my own, uh, running my own business, Bright Digit, doing uh, web, mobile development and some work apps for the Mac and the Apple Watch as well. I've been doing that for about six years and there's a lot of learned in that time. Uh, how long have you been on your own and what kind of What's your background as far as that? Depending on how you measure it, two or three years or as long as 10 years. I mean, I I started doing some contracting about a decade ago and started my own business, but I was doing contracting on site and ended up getting a nearly seven year contract. So it was really hard to consider that seven year contract where I'm working on site a like working on my own because it doesn't have that same feel of like freelancing where you're working from home or at a coffee shop or something like that. It's probably much like being an employee more or less. And so how long have you been on your own? I guess, or how long did you, when did you let go of that contract? I guess Uh, a couple of years ago. And then I've been trying a lot of different things with working at co-working spaces, trying to find other people to partner up and at least not work with, but be working next to and working from home. There's, I'm sure we'll get into it, but there's a lot to consider uh, when you're actually working from home. And definitely what you said about staying sane. I'm not always convinced that I'm doing a good job of staying sane. And I think that's why we need an episode. Yeah, I can confirm you're not you're not doing a good job staying sane. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been like I said, it's uh, my six year mark. I remember that pretty distinctly because I got my first uh, contract at Bright Digit holding my newborn nephew who just turned six. So it's always a good indication for me of when that occurred. And I'd been an employee at a small software business here in town. Great business. I liked it. But uh, at the time, my wife and I didn't have kids. And it just was like, well, if we're going to take this risk, let's do it now. And so we took that leap. And of course, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But like being in a family, it's, it's kind of a decision we both make. It's not just one person and a different situation goes different ways. So I started my first contract six years ago. Uh, since then, I've worked with several businesses and I've learned a lot along the way about staying sane and making sure I can stay productive working on my own. Because I think being where we talk productivity on this podcast, I think one of the key components is when you are running your own business, you're your own boss. And that always, a lot of people, when they hear that, they think that's a great thing and that's wonderful because you can do whatever you want. But if you're a responsible adult, that can be a big challenge because being your own boss means you have some little voice in your head constantly telling you you're doing something wrong or you need to do something different or you need to give up or you need to keep going. And, uh, you know, you have like a sunk cost fallacy of keep doing the wrong thing over and over again, expecting different results. So, yeah, I like I like the way you put that. You're only accountable to yourself, but that inner voice is more like a team of 12 different people with 12 different goals. And you have to be able to separate the the family one that's telling you, you need to keep going with laundry and all kinds of other things to keep your family together and organized. And yeah, holding yourself accountable for your work, needing to find new work. There's so many different ways that you can really sabotage yourself. Yeah. And um, the other fallacy I think a lot of people fall into, and you probably all appreciate this, but also thinking that your client is your boss too. I think maybe in your case with a seven-year contract, it probably was more like that. And I think if you have a really long-term contract, I could see how that might 
be okay, but clients don't care about your business and nor should they, they, they might care in a sense of having you there for maintenance and having a business that's sustainable, but the real end goal is what you do for them, for the client. Um, it's not really about your business. So, you know, keep that in mind. That's why writing a good contract and having good agreement and good relationship with the client is always important, but they're not necessarily your boss um, because you need you need to make sure your business is sustainable. And that's that's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. So, Eric, what's one of the things that you've learned over the last two, two and a half years? I've learned a lot about myself. So um, I guess some of my advice about um, starting or considering working on your own will be a little bit more like exploratory um, because I didn't know uh, some of the challenges that I would be facing just with myself. Um, And so things like what distracts me, um, how successfully I can work when there's just like a mess around me. If I'm working at home, for example, or laundry to be done and just wanting to take those regular breaks. Let's see. Another one that I learned was the social aspect of working was really important to me. And that's taken some adjusting to like, I still, I still work on my own mostly, but finding a couple times a week just to get out of the house, even if I'm not with friends, just in a coffee shop or someplace where there's some activity going on and people laughing or people having serious discussions. That was something I had grown accustomed to. That cubicle conversations and water cooler. It's like, yeah, you, I don't want to say I, want, I miss it necessarily so much as like there's a different kind of stimulation when you do that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so a lot of the stuff just when I made that leap um, and suddenly I was missing them, it, it was very real. And I mean, it really, it really throttled me when it happened. And yeah. I, I had to, in addition to trying to do all of this work, find ways to cope with all these other things that I was no longer getting. That's one of the things to think about. Like if you work on your own is like, if your internet goes down or your computer does stops working, that's a day out of work. Like you don't have an IT department to come to and get help. Right. Yeah. And there's no stability of all of the infrastructure that comes with working in an office. Yeah, exactly. But there's also not the bureaucratic mess either, but you know, it's give and take essentially. Yeah. So um, one of the things you talk about is building a network. I think this is super important and making sure you have connections both locally in your local area, but also just meeting people around online and connecting with them. I think it's an important way to, to build that, that network. And there are people to, to who can actually be very helpful. I think one thing I've started doing is uh, masterminds. Uh, I've joined a couple of masterminds and we meet regularly and stay on track with tasks. And that's been really helpful uh, for me to learn from others and some of the struggles other people have. Hmm, okay. Could you um, just um, indulge me a little bit? I've never actually heard of masterminds. Is this a uh, like a group you pay to attend or something like that? Or how does it work? It could be like there are probably quote unquote paid masterminds. Uh, but most of these are people I've met through conferences or on different slacks that I'm on. And they're like in the same or similar space and we'll uh, network often. Uh, we'll usually set up like a regular weekly meeting time where we discuss what we're working on, what our goals are. Are we staying on task? Things like that. Okay. 
It's just good to have like cross-pollination, so to speak, of different ideas and difficulties. Are these all local people or it sounds like there's masterminds that are spread out? Uh, One was uh, through folks in Grand Rapids and the other one uh, was national, more or less, through a a conference. I don't know if we've pointed it out, but you and I both live in Lansing, Michigan. So I think that will help give the audience a little bit of a geographic sense of these places that we're talking about. Okay. Yes. So thank you. Uh, Yeah. And we've co-worked together. Yeah. Um, Something I'd like to point out with networking is there are uh, two different ways that you can go about it or two things to consider for networking. One is finding other people who are in similar situations as you that in all likelihood won't ever become customers or clients or contracts or leads or whatever you want to call them. They're just almost like a support group. And then you can do some mind sharing. The other networking that you can do can lead to business. So finding ways to get referrals, for example, to find more work, that's also really helpful. And before you start, that's something that you would want to consider. Taking the plunge, quitting your job without any kinds of leads sounds just dangerous to me. Yeah. One of the things is I found different networking opportunities in in the state. And taking advantage of those, kind of getting a good lay of the land, that's helped a lot. One of the things I am in the space of doing is trying to make sure my networking is focused because uh, I have only so many hours in a day and not trying to go to every networking group, which I think is what I did early on and kind of figure out where I get my most bang for my buck, so to speak, when it comes to networking. Yeah. Um, a challenge for me when I was doing some networking at groups uh, like CirrusNet and some of the other more organized groups is that there are different styles of networking groups. I really like networking groups that do a round robin style of everyone stands up and introduces themselves and talks a little bit about what they do. It helps me identify the like two or three people that I would have a strong likelihood of hitting it off with or having something in common with for the purpose of networking. Another trick that I tried um, just because it was really frustrating me going to groups where there was not this round robin. It's just a mob of 50 people who are uh, being very loud and trying to have conversations with each other at the same time as I started wearing these name tags and putting a like a little bit of trivia, like my favorite book, and then would ask the same question, like, what's your favorite book type of thing? Just like trying to think ahead of time before I was in this setting that made me very anxious, um, thinking of a way that I could just break the ice with a handful of people. Hopefully that'll be helpful to someone on here because there are things I definitely struggled with early on. Yeah, I think so too. I think having a focus, I want to call it elevator pitch, but Something like an elevator pitch whenever you go to one of these events, I think is super helpful. Right. You need to go with some sort of game plan, some sort of goal, some sort of thing that you say when you talk to people, something interesting. And at the very least, you should offer some sort of advice and remember who that is. Keep a business card, contact them later if there's somebody you're interested in. Not necessarily doing business with, but staying connected with. Oh, yeah. Uh, That actually reminds me, the business cards. Um, Another trick that I um, came up with, and maybe this is already a thing, but um, I also sometimes have a hard time remembering names or putting names to faces. And something that really helped me was, uh, because I do read a lot, I would save the 
um, business cards and actually use them as bookmarks. And so seeing the people's names uh, right after the events and seeing them on a at least daily basis really helped me remember the people that I wanted to remember. So yeah, there's another, there's another pro tip or sorry, that's probably more like an amateur tip, but it really helped me out. One thing I do is I have an app called CamCard that will scan uh, business cards for me. So it'll scan the business card and it'll do its very best text rec- character recognition on that business card in order to get the data out of it. It's probably about 50-50, but it's better than nothing. And then I'll take that information and I'll set up a uh, to-do for me to contact that person the next day or within a week. Just kind of say, hey, it was nice to meet you. Um, Hey, we should do coffee sometime, especially if it's somebody I actually want to meet and and go from there. Because I think um, it's important to stay. And I think this goes back to networking. um, And that's something I'm trying to do right now is to try to get people remember you. And like constantly like... It's actually, and this is the challenge I've had, it's actually good to like email people every so often. And I kind of now understand why my insurance company sends me a birthday card, but it, it actually is convenient for people to like contact them every so often uh, and say, hey, how you doing? How, what's your challenges right now? What's going on? Um, to try to kind of stay in people's orbit. Um, and I think you're, t- you're good. It's good that you're talking about like going to networking events and seeing people every so often because I think it's an important thing to do. And I think that's part of it is just emailing, texting people, calling people and staying within their orbit. So so, hey, if something comes up that you can work on, you might have a lead. Yeah, very good point. That solves the the flip side of the problem where I have trouble remembering people's names. So the ones who also reach out to me regularly. Um, even if it's just to say hi, um, or, you know, say I haven't seen you at an event or something like that in a little while, Uh, you know, it goes a long way, especially when you have like uh, Gmail or Gravatar or something like that, where you can actually get an email or a message and it actually shows their face. Super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's really helpful. Um, yeah, this goes back to kind of like scheduling, scheduling yourself to contact people every so often. Like what I'll do is after I finish contacting somebody, rather than just simply marking that to-do list item done, I'll set, I'll delay it for another month. So that way I have a repeating task of contacting this person every so often. Nice. One of the other challenges for me was knowing what kind of a, a runway I had. I do have a queue of work And I know approximately how much money I'm going to be making from it. Meanwhile, some of these uh, contracts, like you can only bill uh, every so often, maybe once monthly or net 30 or net 60 or whatever. Um, So you also need to have a little bit of a buffer room. So if you're able to save up some money uh, beforehand or have some overlap, don't just quit your job as soon as you get some leads and decide Um, Try and do a little bit of work or cut back on your full-time job to part-time. That was something I did the last, uh, the last year of my contract is I switched to four days a week to allow myself one day a week to focus on uh, building momentum with my, my freelancing, finding ways to get that extra funding and build up some momentum is really helpful. And it takes, it takes some of the scary part out of it. I think one thing I will, that is important is always queue up more work than you can actually do because things always fall through in the end and always don't allocate, um, don't allocate all your time to one thing 
ever. Like, I think that's another important thing is I've taken work where I've essentially done the 40 hours a week contract. And if you're, unless you're planning on doing that contract for a really long time and you don't mind having a break, 40 hours of like coding work in our case uh, is going to take away any sales time or marketing time you're going to need in order to get the next uh, set of work that you need to do. I don't know if you've totally. I don't know if you've ever run into that situation, but I've been in situations where focused with one company and just done one contract and then that contract is over because of who knows what. Right. And I'm left left with nothing hanging and no, and no, no queue of work. So those are the two things I would suggest is don't ever do 40 hours of work with one contract and don't, uh, don't stop selling ever and make sure you have more work than you can handle because stuff, because it's easier to deal with, we can get into delegating work to other people, but if you have more work than you can handle, like that's an easier thing to deal with than having less work than you need. Totally agree. Because you can, you, you have that option of saying, sorry, like I'm busy. Like some stuff has come up, like until you sign something, you have no obligation to that customer. Right. Yep. And I see that with all of my other friends who do freelancing as well. They all have, at least two or three projects that they have going simultaneously and it helps them keep that momentum. If you focus too much on one part of a business, you'll stall out in the other areas because you're neglecting them. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, would you mind talking about why six years ago, um, you made this decision or what was your situation like that? encouraged you to start having this discussion with your family and take the plunge. Yeah. I think a lot of it is I've always, a lot of it is I've always wanted to run my own business um, and be on my own and have that independence. I feel like one of the problems with being an employee is constantly being tied to someone and someone's decisions. And I wanted more of that flexibility, more of that ability to kind of, I, I want the actual, skill set and learn more about the marketing and sales side of building stuff and good software essentially. And so that's, that's kind of where it came with from. And my views have changed quite a bit, but in a good way, because I've learned a lot about the importance of marketing and sales, but I, I just wanted something more exciting. I think that's, that's the big thing for me and running my own business. Cause I see that there's, there's a need out there for some more skills in that set when it comes to software development. Two things that I heard or I'm generalizing here is that there is potentially lots of room for growth beyond just what you're already specializing in at a job. And it doesn't matter if you're coding or you're already doing marketing at a company or something like that, but going out and doing your own business allows you to branch out. There's not a lot of big companies that give employees the opportunity to do an entire vertical slice. You're doing the user stories, like you're working with customers, you're doing the database, the coding, you're doing the marketing, like you're running a blog, you're doing the accounting, all of these different things that come with running your own small business. So if you are eager to grow out of your uh, specialization, there's a lot of opportunity. And I mean, you pretty much have to do it if you want to take that plunge into freelancing. The other thing that I I kind of heard uh, is that because of that, freelancing is not necessarily for everyone. 
Um, there's plenty of people who are perfectly happy focusing on just front end work or databases and growing within that subject. And there's value to both. But before you decide to branch out, that's something helpful to know is that there are going to be areas where like accounting may not be exciting and it can, that's something that you dread so much. I mean, it could, it, it could kind of spoil freelancing for you if that's something that you just don't like doing. Um, so being able to account for that, to find someone else to do that kind of work for you or deciding that, you know what, I just like backend development, finding ways to make that work as a freelancer or just sticking with what you're doing is something that you consider before you actually quit your job. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like as much as I I am working on my own, I don't ever feel like this is for everybody and I don't feel like pressuring people into saying, "Oh yeah, you should do it." It's it's the life. It's the best. Like I think some people are meant for it and some aren't. And even when you get into freelancing, you could be in a position of uh, just expecting people to get work for you or and there are good points to that and there are bad points to that. Or you can be in a position of doing all the sales on yourself. So it really depends on on what your what your skill set is and what you're comfortable doing. Like, and I think that's that's what's important. Yeah, and I think another thing is that when you're taking that plunge into starting your own business, if you talk to your employers about it and tell them that you're really excited about this opportunity, they will they will see that and they will know that you're not just angsty about what's going on through all the bureaucracy or politics at your job. And so you can also make that step away from where you're working now into freelancing. And if it goes south in a year or two, um, there's a really good chance that you will be able to go back to where you left off. So freelancing is one of those things where when you do make the plunge, you can approach your employer about it in a very polite way, like let them know that you really appreciate all the time that they've invested in you and you will still leave that door open. Yeah. I think, I think it's a good point to talk about like making that transition. Uh, One of the important things is not to burn that bridge. I, I feel like sometimes people feel this need to like say, you know, just screw it and be leaving that company and burning their bridge and not really making. Yeah. And it's, uh, I never felt that way. Like I didn't hate where I was so much as I just felt like it was the time for me to do it. I think you you might be in a position of after six months or nine months or just saying, this isn't out working out for me. Can I come back? And like, you don't want to be a position of just groveling, having to come back to that employer if you want to go back there ever. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. Yeah. And through doing freelancing, doing your own marketing and trying to make leads, it also opens up potentially a lot of other doors for employment opportunities too. So it sounds scary taking that plunge. It feels like you're on your own, but at the same time, there's lots of different avenues to come back out if things just aren't going how you hoped they would. Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the math of doing actual freelancing and when it's worth it or when going on your own is is a good time because I think it's important to keep in mind 
how much you're going to be making, how much you need to spend, how much your current expenses are, because those aren't going to change. If not, your expenses might go up once you work on your own. And I also want to say before you do anything, if you're going to run your own business, have your own bank account. It's easy to do. It doesn't cost anything. Have your own bank account, maybe even a credit card for your business to track your expenses. Um, Because when it comes tax time, you're going to want to make sure that you separate out what you spend personally and what you spend on your business. And it's an important thing to do um, is keeping a separate bank account in order to do that. Um, And once you've done that, like also make sure you do the math again, get a spreadsheet out, look at your budget, what you spend regularly. Think about new expenses like healthcare, which we'll talk about in a little bit and see, okay, how much is the minimum I need to make based on that? And I think that's an important thing to do. Did you do any sort of math before you went out on your own. Absolutely. And for for years prior to that, I had actually had a spreadsheet of in general, like my recurring monthly expenses, like groceries and then all of the bills and how much I wanted to put into retirement. Uh, however, when I decided to actually get away from the on-site contracting and work from home, uh, focusing exclusively on a bunch of different freelancing opportunities. I decided to take that and go into way more detail because I wanted a very, very accurate picture of how much as a family we're spending, how much we're making, how much we would lose from my income and then the kinds of new expenses we would take on. Luckily, um, my wife is employed, so insurance was not one of them, but that is a big one to consider. Yes. And there are others, but looking very, very detailed at what your income and what your expenses are on a monthly level. And then also I looked at it over a year because there's some big expenses that don't happen every month. They happen, you know, every two, three months, every six months, or like your bills sometimes in the winter, heating bills go up. So being able to average those things out. Um, So really taking a close look at your expenses. Yeah, I think you're probably better at this than I, than I was. I basically took a, I did not go very detailed. In fact, I went more general and kind of overestimated how much we'd spend and did it that way because I know things come up and I'd rather be more than secure. And then I don't know if you do this, but I'll, I'll say it have an emergency account like or have an emergency amount of money. So that would be yep. something like uh, six months of income saved up, um, three months of income, something like that. And it, it doesn't have to be saved up in a savings account. You could borrow from your Roth IRA, though I don't suggest it if you have a retirement account. But it's important to have some sort of cash on hand because life happens and, and you're going to need that. Uh, in case you can't, you can't make the money that you need to make. There's random life things that will come up, like an appliance will break, <laughs> right? Or yeah, you know, a a car or something else will happen, and yes. it's something that you can't predict. So having that extra buffer room will go a long way. Yeah, I highly, highly second that recommendation. Yes. Don't plan on using it on. Till this, these like emergency situations where you need to. Yes. When I started my business, uh, my work, wife was working full time. We we're already using her benefits. So that wasn't much of a change. But within a year, we had two, two foster girls move in um, who we, we adopted uh, about a year after that. So when the girls moved in, her employer has been fantastic. She switched to part time. Uh, and by doing that, we lost benefits. So uh, we moved to Cobra. 
for like a few months. And then I'm trying to think if that was after Obamacare or not, but I think we didn't do the healthcare marketplace. We just went out and bought health insurance. About a year after that, we switched over to the healthcare marketplace because there's a lot of benefits to that. They'll take a look at your income and they'll give you like a tax credit or a stipend of some sort to cover part of that based on your income. So that's something important to to do if you are going to look at uh, health insurance, make sure you do that through the healthcare marketplace. And another thing is our financial advisor also does health insurance, and that's a huge benefit as well. So we have somebody to talk to about issues that we have and stuff that we come up with. They can't necessarily fix everything because health insurance is uh, a cluster. <laughs> and it just is in this country. Uh, it's really just good to have a point of contact when it comes to that stuff. In our situation, health—I mean, it's just health care. Health insurance is important. So we have five kids, and uh, our our last kid did uh, came into this family through the most typical way: childbirth. It went well, and we had the cash saved up. Uh, we had an HSA account, which I super super recommend. That's the best way to go right now: uh, is having some sort of money saved up for health care, and just don't mm-hmm. assume, assume that stuff is going to be covered for you. But we really, we fill that up every year. Like we pay to the max. I think it's like 5760, some odd number if you look it up on the IRS website. But we always save the max amount of money we can for our HSA account. Um, And then we pay whatever the health insurance rate is uh, on a monthly basis. And that's just, health insurance is is a big deal here in the United States and something you you have to do your homework on. And when you do the math before you start your business, if somebody is going to be losing benefits, it's something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. As much as your income and expenses, I mean, insurance is a part of your expenses, but you definitely need to research. Um, And there are a lot of other choices that we haven't really touched on either. And I don't know a lot about, but uh, there's plenty of resources out there for how to research what kind of insurance is best for you because Um, yeah, whether you are going into the health insurance marketplace or even considering something like self-insurance. Yeah. Research, talk to someone, talk to a tax person. Uh, That's another thing is make sure you have, find a tax, uh, a tax person, do your taxes because you're not going to want to do them yourself if you're running a business, uh, quite honestly. So like with the HSA contribution limit this year, it moved up to 60, 6,900. So that's something to consider is making sure you you take advantage of that as much as you can, because uh, there's a lot of tax benefits here in the United States. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like for that first three months, he had like a cold or something stupid. And like you couldn't take him to urgent care. You had to take him to the emergency room like he didn't have anything big. We got the bill on that. It was just ridiculous. And it's 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 such a mess. Most hospitals will be really good about setting up some sort of payment structure if you don't have the cash on hand. So if you're going to pay, as long as you pay it off at some point, they're not going to deny you like a specific thing or a specific fix that you need. If you need some sort of medication or a procedure done, they, they'll do a payment plan. So like, keep that in mind that most hospitals, they, they are set up to deal with situations where you don't have the cash on hand to do something. You know, if you need to pay it over over a period of 24 months or a year, most hospitals can can do that and arrange that for you. So um, it's more something to think about before you go on your own and not something to worry about necessarily once you've gone on your own. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, Health, you know, you got to take care of your health. Health is health. So um, that's the American portion of our of our podcast. Now, all the international people can, can listen to the rest 
rest of this episode because <laughs> they don't have to worry about it. Um, yeah. Um, before we close out, I think it's important to talk about staying organized um, and going back to the main content of this episode uh, and staying productive when you are your own boss. We've talked about this before, but making some sort of like to-do list of things that you need to get done and keeping stay on track, doing a weekly checkup. We've talked about this before on other episodes, so always keep that in mind. I have a little bit of a story about making a to-do list. Uh, when I first started, I didn't really have anyone to be accountable to. I know in the past episode, I talked about doing a weekly check-in with a partner of mine, and that's really, really helped me um, standpoint. But when I first started out, I was only accountable to myself, wasn't doing any kinds of weekly check-ins, but I still made a to-do list. And uh, the way I went about that, instead of doing something on paper is I used Trello and just came up with, um, I guess if anyone is in development and is familiar with like a uh, backlog, I just created swim lanes for moving my tasks through because sometimes you will make a to-do list. And if you're working with a client, sometimes you will have these dependencies where you need information from them. And so tasks will get put on hold. So uh, approaching your to-do list in a way where you can identify those and have a way to keep yourself productive and working on other tasks while you're waiting for other people can be really helpful too. So, and that's another slice of staying organized is being, being able to predict and account for situations where you're going to depend on other people in order to complete tasks. Yeah. I think that's super important is, is to stay on task. We've talked, we talked about tracking time on our previous episode and how a lot of people use uh, apps like toggle, but um, you definitely want to track your billable hours, but also track your non-billable hours hours track your any work you do with client because you're going to want to find out how much you're honestly making and it's good to, to keep that in mind and spending more time um, that's not billable um, whether it's administrative meetings or driving time or something like that uh, tracking that time is a good way to identify where you're spending time that you could free up so that you can actually get more billable work in too. Yes. Yes. Um, and then also tying this back to the very beginning, how we talked about um, making sure that you don't focus on just one piece. Like don't put your head down and just work on billable hours for 40 hours straight. Uh, make sure that you're setting aside time to go to networking groups, having a, like a weekly check-in, even if it's just a 15 minute type of thing, having those on your list on a schedule and then tracking that time allows you to go back and reflect, even if it's just with and for yourself, how you're balancing your time out and identifying things that you might have um, forgotten about, or you haven't been putting as much focus on like keeping that balance in place is another way that tracking your time can help. And then I think one of the difficulties is uh, making sure you balance work and life because you're not going to be very productive if you're just working 60 hours a week on your business. Uh, you might be able to get away with that for a couple of weeks, but I think uh, after a while, you're just going to get burnt out and not be able to produce the work that you really want to work um, after a while. So, you know, make sure you have that work-life balance and, and you keep things 
things keep things in perspective and avoiding guilt, listening to those voices in your head saying you need to do spend more time with your family. And then when you're spending time with your family, spending more, you have that little voice telling you, you need to be working on what you're supposed to be working on. And also not mixing those two together because when you're doing what you're doing, you need to focus uh, on, on that specific task and not try to multitask work and life necessarily. There's an exception to that. That's when you take your kids to the jumping bouncy house place. But other than that, other than that, Eric and I know this because we do this quite a bit with our kids. Other than that, you want to uh, make sure you try to avoid um, trying to mix those two too much together. Yeah. And I guess something to add on to what you said, we do uh, team up and we'll bring the kids out. Like if they have a day off school, take them to a bounce house or someplace where they can go and have fun and we can actually sit down and get a little extra work done. Just being mindful that you're not going to be as productive in that situation than if you're at home without kids and other distractions. Yeah, exactly. I think one thing I want to mention before we close, we talked about getting a separate bank account. Uh, Also have a business. Uh, Talk to a lawyer about what kind of business you're going to be forming. uh, What, what kind is really necessary have, if you're forming a partnership, uh, which we did uh, starting this podcast, uh, make sure you have stuff in writing all the time. Even though Eric and I are really good colleagues, uh, important part of any sort of friendship is uh, people think that it's okay to just kind of, well, we're friends. We'll just have an informal agreement. No, like if you're really friends, then you should have stuff in writing if you want to maintain that friendship. Yeah, it's a good good way to reaffirm trust. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because you need those, you need those boundaries written down some way. Not just for legal reasons, but, you know, to keep that friendship. So uh, talk to a lawyer and see what's the best uh, formation. If you want to do a sole proprietorship, partnership, LLC, whatever, S Corp, C Corp, whatever. Talk to a lawyer in your state to get a good idea of what you should be uh, forming and get that paperwork done. That in the bank account, I think once you've made that decision, even before you have your first first contract and maybe even you, you work uh, at a com- while you're working at a company, it might be a good thing to do. 